Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today, we're talking with James Hutton from The Beast magazine, which is celebrating 15 years in circulation. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of free press for our community, the Bronte Surf Club development, and the secret to The Beast's success. You're listening to Coogee Voice. At the end of the day, the things just hit the mailboxes properly. Like the way we do it, we don't use any of those big sort of mailing companies that sort of chuck them in the bin into Technical Park or anything like that. It actually goes into people's mailboxes and people get it. We've gone very broad with our target market, I suppose. We, we, we don't sort of target men or women. We don't target old or young people. We don't target people that are earning the big bucks or people that are earning less. We, we sort of, we've made it very broad. There's always some challenge that you feel could break you. And they're the times that you sort of need to step up and really think hard about what you're doing and, and sort of work, work a lot harder. James, welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Sun, the sun's finally come out after a few pretty grey days, so it's good. Yeah. Getting plenty of work done. <laughs> good, good to hear. Now, before we get into the beast and have a chat about what's happening in our local community, you're not originally from the eastern suburbs. How did you come to be living here? I was born in Wagga. I'm in southwest New South Wales and, and grew up in Leeton. My old man was a, an animal nu- nutritionist. And I, you know, looking, looking for opportunity and want, wanting to sort of make something of myself, sort of found myself in Sydney via Canberra, which is a common transition, I think, from the River Randa to the city. I got a job as an accountant at, at, at Fairfax uh, as a junior accountant, funnily enough. And I actually enjoyed the accounting work, but I didn't like working in the city that much for a big company and I always wanted to have my own business and some of my friends have started businesses and and I had a bit of an, you know, I sort of developed an interest in the media and, you know, particularly print publications while I was working at Fairfax and it, and it all sort of, it all sort of went from there. Well, that's a nice little segue into the beast. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the baby. How did it come to be what it is today? I used to read those commuters magazines, sort of, I had to get, I lived around Bondi, Coogee, sort of all over the area. And I, I used to get the, the bus and the train into, here's a segue about privatisation of buses for you, but we'll come back to that. I used, I used to get public transport into the city and I used, they used to have these commuters magazines. I think it was one called Nine to Five and one called City Weekly. And originally I wanted to do, I, I thought they could be a bit better, but I liked the idea of those and that was kind of the original plan. And then I was staying with a friend in Bondi, just sleeping on his floor in a, an apartment there, as everyone does. And, and I love this area. And I just thought that the media that was there at that time didn't really sort of represent the demographic. You know, the, the Wentworth Courier and the Southern Courier, you know, while, while they sort of obviously had their place, I, I just thought they sort of didn't really represent younger people. And, and there was another one called the Bondi View, which was actually a great little publication, but it was quite militant, and it was it was I thought it was maybe a little a little too negative and and sort of harsh on on to sort of blame council for everything. But I don't know. Having said that, it was that that was actually a real um, asset to the community, and that sort of that that sort of fizzled out. I think maybe we had something to do with that, but I, I either way, like it was a really good publication, and 
and it'd be good if that was still around, but it's not. And and yeah, so we basically just went about trying to create something that represented the the whole community, the broader community. We didn't really target any particular demographic too specifically. I mean, 15 and a half years later, we're now the only one left standing. So I think maybe we we got a few things right <laughs> in hindsight, yeah. Uh, that's a really good point that you've gotten onto. You are now the only free print media that is in circulation in the eastern suburbs. My first question is, how does that feel? Yeah, it's good. I mean, there's there's certainly an element of satisfaction. Like the amount of work that's gone into it over the years is just insane. Like it's it's. I think part of the reason that it survived is just because we've done we've worked harder for less money than anyone else. That's that's pretty much. <laughs> that's a big part of it, unfortunately. And but I mean, with with that sort of that satisfaction, that feeling of achievement, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. It's an important part of the community now. This magazine, and I feel like I have to do whatever I can to keep it running. And I think there's also even more of a responsibility to be objective and and give people a, a voice because I don't know. There's not a lot of ways at the moment for sort of people to get heard, and anyone can write a letter to the editor editor to us. And it'll it'll get published, you know, as long as it's sort of factually correct and it's it's not racist or sexist or anything like that. People can flick us an email or you know, I even get handwritten letters from old grannies who don't have computers and that sort of thing now still. So yeah, it's sort of it's a, it's an important responsibility, I suppose, and where I didn't really feel like that as much before. And all of a sudden it's sort of I suppose quite serious. <laughs> So you do have, though, an online copy. I guess what I want to know is why is it important to continue printing it and having free print media delivered to people's houses? With digital, there's a lot of competition online. You know, like to get everyone to go to your website, you've got to, you know, you'd have to, you have to spend a lot of money on, 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 on marketing and, and sort of really pushing it. Whereas as old-fashioned as print media is, we've got a local team of, of delivery people Every single one of them lives in the area. I think most of them have lived in the area their entire lives. They get paid really well. It's hard work, but it's a good job. At the end of the day, the things just hit the mailboxes properly. Like the way we do it, we don't use any of those big sort of mailing companies that sort of chuck them in the bin in Centennial Park or anything like that. It actually goes into people's mailboxes and people get it. With digital, I just as Facebook and those sorts of things, they're great for online's great for reaching people anywhere in the world quite cost effectively. But if you're just targeting one sort of small local demographic, one local area, I still think that putting something in people's mailboxes is the most cost effective way of reaching as many people in that area as possible. I absolutely agree. We've had an interview with Emma Purvis as well from Eastside FM and the importance of print media, a big part of it as well is about access, right? Not everyone actually has access to the internet where when this is delivered into people's houses, it actually reduces that barrier and increases people's access to information. Yeah, people get it. The thing is, it's hard getting distribution right. Like I think that's the reason why a lot of other publications that have started up over the years have sort of flopped after the first couple of years because they don't do their deliveries properly. And the way we do it, if you saw the spreadsheeting and the mapping and all the stuff that we do to get it right, you'd think I was completely nuts. Like it is it is full on the way we do our mailbox drops. Like I think the courier used to do theirs in a day and, and ours some you know ours takes us seven or eight days depending on the weather. And I and I'm on it the whole time. You need to really sort of work on it to get it right. It probably took us about five or six years to get it perfect. 
but, but once you once you're doing it properly, it, it's yeah. There's no better way to reach more people in a sort of particular footprint than once you can something in their mailbox. There's about probably in the area that we do, we do sixty one thousand copies a month. I think fifty six and a half of those are mailbox drop. The other four and a half thousand go in shop fronts. There'd be less than ten houses that don't have a mailbox. Yeah. Now. You pride yourself on being apolitical. Why is this a principal value of the magazine? We're interested in politics, but we, we're, not, we're certainly not aligned with a particular party. I think there's enough publications, there's enough media in Australia that has a particular political slant. But no, I, I think it's important for us to look at individual issues on their, on their merits rather than sort of adhering to a particular party line. I think political parties, I mean, you know, to an extent have sort of overtaken all areas of politics. Like, you know, local government, I think it's too party focused. So I think it's important for, for us to give everyone an opportunity to share their views. And it just comes back to, I suppose, independence and objectivity. Like, yeah, like I sometimes I'll agree with, you know, something the Liberals say, sometimes I'll agree with something Labor says. It just, yeah, I think more people need to be focused on the issues rather rather than sort of sticking themselves in a particular sort of political box and then sort of going along with whatever their chosen party says. Now, anyone can write into the magazine providing equal access, obviously, depending on making sure it isn't racist, sexist. Uh, why is this important for you and for the magazine to do this? I think it's important for people to have a voice. I think people feel quite powerless at the moment. I'm not like a mad civil libertarian or anything, but I feel like people's freedoms kind of slowly sort of being stripped away. I'm learning more about the planning processes and the way that council works and the power that, you know, sort of bigger companies and property developers and and these kind of people have and I think the average person just feels like they have absolutely no say whatsoever. There's another issue going on at the moment which I know we're going to talk about with the Bronnie Surf Club and like a lot of people are very concerned about that and yet people just sort of accept these developments and that sort of thing as a a foregone conclusion and feel like they just have no say at all whereas with the magazine like anyone can sort of write a letter in or you know or, or write an article or request that we write an article about something and conservatively 100,000 people are going to, to see that. And I think the councillors, particularly the ones we've got at the moment, they're sort of reading these things and they're sort of acting on things and it's, it is, it's giving people a voice. And I think that's fundamentally important. So, yeah, it's good. Oh, I absolutely agree. Going back to issues in the community, you very much have your finger on the pulse in terms of what are the big community issues. Where do you see the big issues or talking points around the community at the moment? One particular sort of issue at the moment that's close to my heart is as a I'm a member of the Bronnie Board Riders Club and I'm a Bronnie Surf, Surf Life Saving Club and, and Waverley Council have a proposal to redevelop the ageing building that the Surf Club leases from Council. And I suppose it comes back to this, this principle of public space being taken and effectively privatised so for the benefit of the, of the few to, to the detriment of the broader community. There's already a really large Surf Club building down there. It already has quite a big impact on, on, on the sort of the aesthetics of, the, of, of that beach. And, and they're wanting to build something significantly larger. Under, under this plan, I think we're going to lose over 500 square metres of public space. And a lot of that's green space. It could even be significantly more than that, but I don't want to over-exaggerate the figures. And the size 
allocated solely to the surf club for their own use. And it is a private entity. It's hard, difficult to join. That's going to increase by over 480 square metres. That, that, that is a huge, huge difference. Their justification for taking all this public space is that, that they sort of say it's about beach safety and that their, their numbers have, have grown. But the, the volunteer life-saving life service, they basically assist the professional lifeguards that you guys employ at Waverley Council. They're patrolling the beach 365 days a year. They're arguably the best lifeguard service on the planet. And no disrespect to the volunteers that are giving their time down there, but they're only there sort of 50 to 60 days a year sort of on the weekends in, in summer. And I just don't think they should be using this notion of beach safety to justify taking all this space away from, from the public. The surf club is one small part of a large community and I just feel like their influence on this whole process has been disproportionate. There's another sort of part of this that I feel quite strongly about. There's a memorial down there called the Dave Brown Place. This guy was a, you know, an old Bronny guy and he was a rugby league immortal. And that area there, which is known by locals and board riders as, as the cubes, means a lot to us. Just to give you an example, like in, in the actual surf life-saving club, they, they don't have a lot of members between the ages of sort of 13 to 18. Most of the guys down, that hang down the beach are members of the board riders club. And that's probably our biggest sort of forms of core group of the board riders club. And having those guys down there and, and sort of having the older guys around, you, you know, it's, it's a proper community. Everyone's looking out for each other. I don't think we've had a single youth suicide down at Bronte. And I think that this sort of special meeting place that we've got down there in the cubes, I think that's contributed to that. And I don't get upset about many things, but I'd, I'd personally be very upset if, if that memorial, that, that public space that everyone has access to, it's not just for us, it's for everyone. We're happy to share it with everyone. I'd be pretty upset if that was destroyed or, you know, if they tried to move it somewhere else to make way for a, a huge, basically what is going to be a function centre, but under, under the guise of a surf club. So that, that's one thing that's sort of, you know, I've had quite a few letters about that and there's a lot of concerned residents that feel like, you know, they don't like the idea of this huge building. They want the club to get a new building. I want the club to get a new building personally and I like the aesthetic of the designs. Just the size and scale of this thing, it's going to be bigger than North Bondi Surf Club apparently, but at Bronny, they're pulling out all of the community amenities and that sort of thing and they're putting them off in separate, a separate new building. They're putting the lifeguards uh, under, the, under these sort of big new stairs and they're basically taking all of this area for themselves. The general sort of feeling I get from speaking to a lot of people in the community down there is that we'd like to see one building the same size and in the same, you know, in the same location as it is now, but containing all of those, you know, public amenities and, and all of those things that were in there before. You know, we, and we don't want to see one square metre of public space get, get taken away and, and, and privatised. Yeah. And I guess this is just for people who are interested in this development or would like to learn more about this development, I would encourage you to go to the Waverley Council Have Your Say page. The information's up there. And for any people that are concerned about this development or have views about this development, please make sure that you do lodge a submission and make sure that council is aware of what your opinion is. I have been quite outspoken on overdevelopment as well as the importance of proper community 
consultation. And I think that's a very important part of any development that happens throughout our community, that people are consulted and they have their say, particularly when it comes to public amenity and public space, which is exactly what this is. Now, you have been running the beast and it's been going for 15 years. Have there been any sort of standout interviews or controversial articles that have been published in the 15 years that stand out to you? Yeah, there, ha- there has been. I think when you're producing a, a print publication in, in an area where people sort of feel passionate about where they're living and a lot of people have their finger on the pulse around here, that's, as you'd, you'd, you'd know that very well, being a councillor and, and, and our state member. But pe- people will quite often get upset or offended by something and I'll say honestly, like, there's things that we've, we've had in the magazine in the past that we shouldn't have done, but we've made mistakes. I hate upsetting people. I think it's impossible not to sometimes, but there's a few little things that we've done to decrease the likelihood of unnecessarily upsetting people going forward. And I mean, one of, one of those is labelling satire clearly. We've had sort of satirical articles in there and one was about, you know, an article that we were going to develop Waverley Cemetery into like a marina or something. And, and I mean, there was a plan to do something <laughs> that, was, that bordered on that. But, but, but yeah, there's a satirical article about that and, and council got absolutely hammered with phone calls and, 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 le- and letters and I know a couple of the media communication staff sort of had to go into work on the weekend to deal with it and I didn't feel too good about that. But, I mean, people should have known that it was a satirical article but we're labelling them a bit more clearly now so there's, so there's sort of less doubt. The star signs sometimes offend people but, you know, these are, these are messages from heaven and, and we can't sort of, we can't change that. So, you know, don't, don't, shoot, the, don't shoot the messenger. Sometimes people blow up out the letters to the editor. Like, but that's like people sort of go crazy about something that someone's written in. And I'll just be like, you know, this person's entitled to their opinion. If you're not happy with it, you know, write a letter to the editor back and I'll publish it. So people can sort of get quite irate about those. Whenever I interview a politician, regardless of whether it's someone on the left, the right or the centre, I'll get people telling me I'm a lefty. I'll get people telling me I'm a righty. I'll get, no matter what I do, like you cannot win. Like, but like, so we, when I interview Dave Sharma, my interviews aren't too sort of probing. Like I'll, I'll ask them a question, listen to their answer. I might ask a follow-up and then I'll generally sort of move on to the next thing because, you know, you, you haven't sort of got that much space. Firstly, I got called uh, a right-winger for putting Dave Sharma on the cover and then I got called a lefty because I dared to ask Dave Sharma, you know, questions about Israel's, you know, human rights record and how they treat Palestinians. Now, I think that asking a politician, an Australian politician, who is the former ambassador to Israel, a question about Palestine, I think is pretty, like, I think that that would be expected. And I don't think it's sort of, you know, I think it's quite, quite within reason to ask those questions. So, so it's sort of, you can't win sometimes, but I don't know. It's it's. I, th- I think we strike a pretty good balance with the magazine at the moment, and then I'm, I'm happy to listen to anyone's feedback if if they, uh, if they if they don't agree. One question that I have is, who is Pearl? <laughs> <laughs> I, everyone wants to know who Pearl is. It's not me, and it, and it, and it wasn't Dan. Well, everyone thinks it's me, me or my brother, but and it's not Duncan Horscroft. A lot of people think it's Duncan Horscroft. It's, I, it's not. It's not Duncan. I thought it was Duncan. <laughs> and everyone thinks it's Duncan. <laughs> no, it's a, there's a, it's a lady who who was living in Clavelli. She's since moved away, but she's very still very connected in the you know to what's going on around the area. 
when we first started the magazine, I think it was like the second or third edition, I got this letter to the editor and it was hilarious. And um, I wrote back straight away and said, you know, would you like to write an article in our magazine? And I think about 15 minutes later, her first article arrived in my inbox and, and she's been writing ever since. I think she's missed probably two or three for whatever reason. She couldn't sort of get her article in a, a couple of times. But yeah, she's been writing for us for over 15 years she, and she does it just for the love and no one knows who she is. One eastern suburbs real estate agent actually got really close to uncovering her identity but she somehow managed to throw them off the trail. But that's, that's, been, the, that's been the closest, but no one knows who she is. And what would it take for you to tell us who she is? If she gave me permission to tell people, I'd tell people straight away that she, she would need to sort of give me permission. I can't reveal her identity, but no, you don't know her, Marjorie. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's like, she, she, I mean, she's written some pretty controversial things. You know, she was involved in, you know, those sort of mother's clubs I have around the eastern suburbs. And, you know, she was getting a lot of the material from the other, the other mothers in these, in these mother's clubs. So I can't... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think she'll ever reveal her true identity. <laughs> Maybe one day. Dan, what do you see has been the secret to the beast success? There's probably four or five things. I'd say one is not targeting, you know, too narrow a demographic because we sort of service what is, I suppose, a relatively small geographical area, you know, being one sort of part of one city in one state in, a, in Australia, like... We sort of we, we've gone very broad with our target market, I suppose. We, we, we don't sort of target men or women. We don't target old or young people. We don't target people that are earning the big bucks or people that are earning less. We, we sort of we've made it very broad. Our journalists and columnists and the information that we have in our magazine and the people that we interview are, are specifically designed to have a broad, a broad appeal. The other thing is it's been bloody hard work. Even now, after so long, I mean, obviously with COVID, it's harder, but you know, there's always something happening that there's always some challenge that you feel could break you. And they're the times when you sort of need to step up and really think hard about what you're doing and, and sort of work, work a lot harder. We always try and think long term. There's been opportunities to make sort of more money. I mean, it is, it is a business at the end of the day and, you know, we need to sell advertising in order to, to fund the magazine. But there's been opportunities over the last 15 years where we could have made, you know, sort of a lot more money in the short term, but we've sort of thought that in the long term it wouldn't have been a good thing and so we've sort of always sort of tried to think long term I think all businesses should do that and the other thing is distribution like we have we've nailed the way we do our distribution we've put a lot of time into it that's probably the main thing that sets us apart from from our, our sort of you know other other media is the way we distribute uh, the mailbox drop the people we employ like you should see these guys that we've got. They're just like, they're just, every single one of them, they've all become mates. We have virtually zero staff turnover. You know, we've just got this incredible team of deliverers that are passionate about the magazine. And I suppose other than that, look, so that's probably four points. The fifth point I'd say is try not to be a prick. Like just try it. And you always hear people say, you know, oh, but that's just business. And when, when, when you hear someone saying that, I feel like they're usually about to shaft you or, or they're doing something shit. And my brother and I sort of always had this view that would we do this personally? And we try and apply our own. I'm not sort of getting on my moral high horse here or anything like that, but we try and apply morals and values that we have personally to the magazine as well. And I think, you know, I think that's another part of, part of why we're still around after, after all this time and 
you know, why it has been a successful little little venture. <laughs> now, for anyone who is looking to get and work in media, journalism, or start their own magazine, what advice would you give them? You've just got to, you've got to work your ass off. You've got to be prepared to, it's not glamorous. You've got to be prepared to get out. If, if you want to start a magazine, for example, you've got to be prepared to get out and actually deliver them and do the sort of shitty jobs that, you know, a lot of people sort of don't like doing. Just back yourself and, 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 and have a go, like I suppose. But the, the accountant in me would, would say, you know, make sure, you know, where the money's coming from. Like it's anyone can go and start a magazine, but when the printing bills start arriving and you have to pay staff and that sort of thing, it can be pretty daunting. You need to, you need to have a good little business plan and, and, and make sure that, you know, you know, you can actually sort of pay for the bloody thing. It's funny, like I haven't reflected on the magazine much at all. At all, like we've always just sort of kept sort of kept rolling along. So I, I, I don't know. If you're a journalist, I'd say you've just got to write and write and write. Maybe learn to take photos as well, because publications, media outlets, um, budgets are, are shrinking. And if, you, if you're a journalist and you can take photos as well, then you're going to be, you know, that's going to be, you know, a lot more appealing to to a news outlet. Oh, I don't know if you're like there's this. There's so many different sort of little components and different jobs, but if, if, if you wanted to sort of start, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to start your own magazine, I'd say just, you know, do, do your market research. Look at who, who your audience is going to be. Look at where your money can potentially come from. Analyze your competitors. Do the old strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, the old SWOT analysis that I've never actually done, but you should probably you should do that. And then just realize that you're probably going to be better off just getting a job or being on the dole and then just don't start it. <laughs> James, before you go, there's three big questions that we ask all of our guests on Coogee yeah. Voice. The first one is, what is your favorite beach in the eastern suburbs? Ronnie Beach is my favorite beach in the eastern suburbs. It's my favorite beach in the world. That and Hyams Beach down the coast. And the, and the reasons for that is not, not just that it is an absolutely beautiful place, but it, it's it's there is an egalitarian feel to that beach. It hasn't been overly gentrified. It's just got this country town feel, and there's something special down there that you know is is unique. and And I hope it stays there forever. Where is the best place to get a coffee in the eastern suburbs? I hate sitting on the fence, but like with this question, I've, I've got so many mates that own coffee shops, and I get coffees from so many different places that I wouldn't I would not be able to. It would just be it would be just asking for trouble if I was to name a, a particular place, but I I get them. There's a lot of good coffee shops, and and uh, yeah, I, I I can't I can't answer that question specifically. All right, so you're not prepared <laughs> to start a turf war today on Coogee Voice? Oh, there's just so many good places. Like I'll throw a few out there, like like Gordon's, Selena's, Bellagio, Courtyard, Makuto, Gertrude and Alice. Oh mate. there's so many many of them like where else where else these are sort of places all between Bondi sort of down in Maroubra there's there's probably more coffee shops than there are taxis so yeah it's it's tricky all right so the last tough question is if you're going to have a binge day where would you get the burger from (laughs) I, I love I'm a burger connoisseur and there's there's a few good places that stand out but i'm going to give my bondi tony's is amazing out of the blue of course i've, I've seen you hanging out the front there waiting waiting, <laughs> waiting for your chicken burger <laughs> but Pil- I'm, I'm a massive fan of pilgrims and they've just opened a shop 
on McPherson Street Brunny, and it's all owned by these these you know like this extended family of of local guys like Quigleys and Bardettas and Key and yeah, just you go in there and it's just like the atmosphere is epic, and they're employing. My, my mate's daughter was in there. Erin Finnemore was working in there, and Bella, one of the girls from Broadriders, is down there, and and uh, it's just mad. Like it's just going to be, it's just going to become a great local, a great local hang that joint. Yeah, no, it's good. There you go. So Pilgrim, <laughs> well, that's I was going to say, to sorry to interrupt. <laughs> the Bliss Burger, the Bliss Burger is unreal. But the, apparently, the the South Coast boys that started this business originally, they reckon you got to get a Bliss with an egg in a wrap. Okay. But if you're not a big eater, split it between two because they are massive. All right. That's on my list of things to eat <laughs> this weekend. James, thank you very much for joining us on Coogee Voice. Marge, thanks for having me and thanks for showing such an interest in our magazine and for writing your articles and listening to everyone. You're an absolute legend. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Take it easy. <laughs> chat with James. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Bronte Surf Club development and have your say, head to the Waverley Council website. And if by chance you don't get the Beast magazine in circulation, you can catch it online at thebeast.com.au. You've been listening to Coogee Voice. Mm-hmm.